This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include Mature Themes You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 344. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you. I'll also tell you the latest on my writing endeavors. But first, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 9 of Honor Tested by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 336 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Since her debut into Metamore society, Honor has been engaged in a courtship with Alex, an androgyne noble of the progressive house Townsend. A few weeks into their relationship, Honor met with Alex's mother, the Viscountrix Yasmine Toscano Townsend. Yasmine was assigned male at birth, but took the androgyne curse in order to make her body align with her gender identity. Metamore society classifies her as an androgyne, and uses they-them pronouns for her, but as far as Yasmin is concerned, she is a woman, and always has been. I'll continue to use she-her pronouns for Yasmin to reflect this fact. Yasmin quickly recognized that Honor was in love with Natasha, her lady's companion, but the Viscountrix was not at all concerned about this. Yasmin and her partner, the androgyne noble Erali Townsend, have an openly non-monogamous relationship, and each of them is friends with the other's lovers. There are those in the peerage who disapprove of such arrangements, but that doesn't bother the Townsends. They just don't invite those people to their parties anymore. The key to everything, Yasmin believes, is honesty. When you are honest and unashamed, no one can use it against you. But Honor didn't believe that this was just friendly advice from a prospective mother-in-law. She was still deeply afraid that her secret affair with Natasha would be exposed, and the fact that Yasmin knew that secret gave her power over Honor. She tried to feel out what Yasmin wanted from her in exchange for keeping Honor's secret, but social etiquette prevented her from posing this question explicitly. Rather than acknowledging that Honor was in her debt, Yasmin pivoted to talking about Alex and their interest in Honor, and how eager they are for Yasmin and Erali to approve of the match. Honor interpreted this to mean that her secret was safe with Yasmin as long as she continued in her courtship with Alex. Well, that was all right with Honor. She wanted to do that anyway, and House Townsend's connections with the Progressive Wing would give Honor the opportunity to become involved in the fight for succession reform which she believed was her best chance to do something meaningful with her life. If Honor wanted to keep her secret safe, she would have to keep Yasmin happy, which would mean keeping Alex happy. Yasmin, Honor concluded, could be a valuable ally and mentor, 
or a dangerous enemy. There could be nothing in between. Honor Tested The House of Bellevue Book 2 By L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 9 Egalitarian Thursday, May 3rd The garden party at House Duval was the first event Honor attended with Noble Yasmin as her mentor. It was a small affair, as these things went, with only a dozen nobles and their companions in attendance. Large round tables were set out on a series of paved terraces, surrounded by flower beds that were bursting with tulips, narcissi, hyacinths, and anemones. The guests, like the flowers, basked in the light of the sun under a clear blue sky. It was the first truly warm day they'd had all spring, and while many of them carried parasols, Nobody was using them. Most of the guests were grey-haired old ladies, old enough to be Yasmin's mother, but they seemed charmed and delighted to have Honor and Natasha with them. The two younger women followed obediently at Yasmin's elbow, moving from group to group, curtsying to their elders and making idle conversation with each new person to whom they were introduced. Honor forgot most of their names as soon as Yasmin had said them, but she made note of the houses in attendance. Trent, Chalmers, Drowling, Ballantyne, and Duval, who was hosting the event. I don't understand, Honor whispered to Yasmin when they had a moment of privacy. Most of these women are from conservative houses, are they not? Yasmin quirked their lips at one corner. They are, yes. What is your question, Miha? I thought we were going to talk to people who supported the succession bill. The conservative houses are all opposed. The conservative men are all opposed, Yasmin said wryly. For the women is not so clear, entiendes? And besides, in politics, it is not enough to rely on the friends you have on este momentito. You must try to win friends from the other side, también. You may find them where you do not expect. Yasmin beckoned them over to a small table next to a patch of irises, which were not yet blooming, but already had plenty of long, sword-shaped leaves. A regal woman in her mid-sixties, her long blonde hair streaked with white, sat at the table with her back to the foliage, looking out over the party like a lioness at a watering hole. Unlike the other guests, she sat alone, and though everyone who passed her bowed or curtsied in her direction— None of them seemed inclined to linger in her company. Her dress was a richly patterned woven silk, gold on light brown, and she wore a golden brooch of a fleur-de-lis over her left breast. Her pale blue eyes scanned over the three companions as they approached, then focused on Yasmin. She gave the androgyne a nod and the barest hint of a smile. "'Thy countricks,' she said. She had a strong, clear alto voice— and sounded neither pleased nor displeased to see them. Yasmin was wearing a full-length dress for this outing, rather than a kilt, so they curtsied to the lady instead of bowing. Countess, may I introduce Lady Honor of House Bellevue and her companion, Miss Natasha Volkova. Mia, 
This is Countess Vivienne Harcourt of Lanthony. Honor and Natasha curtsied as well. Milady, Honor said, it's a pleasure to meet you. Countess Harcourt's almost smile may have grown slightly warmer, but Honor could not have sworn to it. She gave them another small nod, then gestured to the open seats at her table. Please join me, won't you? She spoke calm and flawlessly, without a trace of a Lantinois accent. Obediently, they all sat. Honor took the seat on the far side of the table from the Countess, with Yasmin on her left and Natasha on her right. My grandmother was from Lantony, Honor said by way of small talk. She taught me a little of the language. Comment allez-vous? Countess Harcourt's cool, steady gaze fell on Honor, her eyes narrowed in speculation. Either she disapproved of Honor's pronunciation, or she did not believe in small talk. Noble Yasmin tells me you wish to help with my campaign for succession reform. Yes, ma'am, Honor said, looking down at the table and away from those unnerving eyes. I would like to be able to do something useful with my life, something meaningful. I I think I will have a better chance of doing that as a house scion. The Countess said nothing for a long moment. She raised her tea and took a long sip, still watching Honor over the rim of the cup. Is that all? she asked. Honor looked up, confused. Ma'am? You support succession reform because you want to do something with your life. There was still no discernible emotion in the woman's voice, but Honor had the sense of being an insect examined under glass or a butterfly pinned to a corkboard. Is that all this is to you? A way to stave off boredom? Honor felt the heat rising in her cheeks. No, ma'am. I... I think it is important. Why? The Countess's voice was calm, quiet, but absolutely unyielding. Why does it matter if your father's title passes to you, or to a male cousin? Why is that important? I... Honor was getting flustered. She felt off balance, disoriented. But, ma'am, it's your campaign, isn't it? Are you saying it isn't important? Countess Harcourt's lip twitched. I understand what I am about, child. I would like to know if you do. Apart from your personal ambitions... Why is succession reform a worthy goal for Metamore? Honor frowned, thinking hard. Well, the noble houses are the leaders of society, you know. They... We make the important decisions. We are the stewards of the land. We are supposed to look out for the common people. The way my father and noble Alex are looking out for our veterans. She looked up at the countess, who gave her a slight nod to continue. If women are kept from the positions of leadership, then you've thrown out half of your leaders for no good reason. You've wasted them on balls and parties and, and things that don't matter, and perhaps they would do more good somewhere else. She glanced over at noble Yasmin to see if she was making sense. The androgyne gave her a sympathetic look, but said nothing. Countess Harcourt's almost smile twitched again. 
You have said a true thing, Lady Honor, but there is a flaw in your argument. Absolute primogeniture does not ensure that the best people will inherit control of a house. It only preserves the direct line of descent wherever possible, regardless of the sex of the heir. The merits of that heir do not enter into it. It is likely that if the reform bill passes, some worthy scions will lose their titles to women who are less capable than they. Honor blinked in surprise. Oh, I... Yes, I can see how how that might happen. Indeed, she realized it could easily have happened to House Bellevue if Cousin Graham had been a better sort of person. But then, why are you campaigning for it? Why, indeed, the Countess said. Anna frowned, but it was Natasha who answered. It's about treating people the same, she said. If Noble has son, he inherits title, whether he is good or bad. If he has daughter, maybe she inherits title, but only if there are no male cousins. Is not fair. Precisely, Countess Harcourt said. She leaned in across the table, and her words dropped in volume, even as they increased in speed and intensity. You Metamorians have promoted many freedoms in this empire you have built. You have freedom of expression, of religion, of the press. There is freedom of movement across provincial borders, for goods and for people. You have free elections of the people's representatives in the Senate. But you are not free to live your lives as you wish. She gestured out across the garden and the buildings around them. Your leaders divide you into categories. Man, woman, and antrotine. Noble, gentry, and commoner. Human, luton, and outsider. Cursed and uncursed. Mage and mundane. And with every category there are constraints. Rules. Expectations. Obligations that bind you, limit you, and keep you apart. Honor leaned back a little in her chair. The sudden emotion in the Countess's words was even more unnerving than her neutrality had been. But society needs rules, she said. If people didn't know how to behave, what was expected of them, there would be chaos. Countess Harcourt flashed a real smile then, but it was a sharp-edged thing, and there was a fey light in her eyes that spoke of a feral joy behind her mask of calm. You say that as if it were a bad thing. Honor didn't know what to say to that. Harcourt's eyes were wide as they stared at one another, and Honor could almost see flickers of firelight dancing in her pupils. She wondered what the Countess would burn, if she had the opportunity. An instant later, the moment had passed, and Harcourt was once more perfectly calm and composed. She folded her hands in front of her on the table. People need fewer rules than you might suspect, Lady Honor. Where there is order, it is worth asking whose order it is. Who profits because things are as they are? If the answer is everyone, then congratulations. You have achieved the first truly just society in the history of the world. But when those who profit are few, and those who suffer are many, then you will find that many of the rules exist only to keep things as they are. These are the rules we must seek to destroy. Honor tried to think through the implications of this. So, 
You oppose the current succession rules because they treat the sexes differently. But the sexes are treated differently in all sorts of ways. And you think that's wrong because it's a way of... of controlling people? Harcourt nodded. Succession reform will be the first domino to fall, but only the first. We are focused on that fight to begin with because it will place power in the hands of women who currently have none. I want them to see what it feels like to be truly free. Then, I hope, I can inspire them to free others. She gestured at Natasha. The gentry, and then the commoners, and perhaps one day even the non-humans. That is my dream, Lady Honor. An egalitarian society. Honor felt her eyes grow wide. She had never heard the adjective egalitarian in common before, but she knew enough Lantanois to understand what it meant. The phrase liberté, égalité, fraternité had been the battle cry of the Lantonian Revolution, a radical leftist movement that had swept through that country like a wildfire nearly two centuries ago. The revolutionaries had taken over the government, executed their king and hundreds of his courtiers, and declared a new Republic of Lantony in its place. They had embarked on countless social reforms, intent on creating a paradise on earth, a land where everyone was equal, and everyone had enough, and everyone was free. What they had actually gotten, according to Honor's history books, was a half-century of civil war and political chaos, as the revolutionaries and counter-revolutionaries broke into various factions that struggled for control of the nascent republic. Eventually, Majestrix Kaya had been compelled to send imperial troops into Lantony to stop the fighting, and after three years of negotiations, the Lantonese people voted overwhelmingly to join the empire as a crown province. The Lantonian monarchy was abolished, but the noble families that had fled the revolution were allowed to return to their place at the top of the social order, a concession to the Metamorian noble class, who believed that a classless republic could not be assimilated into imperial society. Under the Majestric's watchful eye, the excesses of the Lantonian nobles were reined in, and many of the social ills that had sparked the revolt were addressed— but there were still a few radicals who believed in the goals of the revolution, if not its methods. And one of them, apparently, was Countess Harcourt. I... Wait, Honor said, holding up a hand. She turned to noble Yasmin. You knew about this? Yasmin smiled broadly. Of course, Mia. But you're a noble, Honor protested. She looked back and forth between Yasmin and Harcourt. You both are. If things change in the way you're hoping for, there won't be any nobles at all. What's the point of fighting to get women in control of the houses if you're going to... to... She thought of that flicker of fire in Harcourt's eyes. To burn it all down. Yasmin reached over and took Honor's hand, squeezed it firmly. Calma te, mija. And lower your voice. The androgyne's gaze flitted up over Honor's shoulder, and she could imagine the old conservative ladies casting suspicious glances in her direction. We do not want to burn it all down, as you say. We want to... to unbuild what is, and to build something better. 
My people thought they could do the work of generations in a few short years, Harcourt said, her voice low and grim. They failed. Perhaps I will fail as well, but I must try. She spread her hands and gestured at her own chest. You are right. I am a noble. I benefit from the unjust system as it now stands, and I will use that power to change things wherever I can, to undo that injustice, so that someday all our descendants may live truly free. Honor nodded slowly. She remembered what her father had told her about the duty of the noble houses, that it was their responsibility to look after the common folk and to try to make their lives better. Yasmin and Harcourt were taking that concept to its logical end, to improve society to the point where the houses themselves were no longer needed. She looked at Yasmin again. Non progredi est ricredi. Exactly so, Yasmin said. Countess Harcourt raised her eyebrows. What do you say, Lady Anna? Are you with us? Honor felt a quiver in her stomach again. She didn't know if Harcourt's dream was achievable. Even if it was, she didn't know if it was the best thing for the world. It was hard to imagine a world without nobles and commoners, a world without rich people or poor ones, a world where men and women and androgynes were all treated the same. She was only eighteen years old. She didn't feel qualified to pass judgment on whether such a world would be as good a place as Harcourt dreamed of. But if things stayed as they were, nothing would get better, and Honor would remain a minor lady of a small house, useful only for whom she might marry and the children she might bear. Harcourt might be a radical, but at least she was offering Honor a seat at the table. Without that, Honor's opinion would mean nothing anyway. And besides, Honor was here because noble Yasmin had vouched for her. She owed it to the Townsends to make the most of the opportunity. She looked over at Natasha, raising her own eyebrows in silent inquiry. Natasha's lip curved into a smirk, and she shrugged. The meaning was plain. This was Lady Honor's call, not Natasha's. No one would be making this decision for her. Honor turned back to Harcourt, straightened her back, and raised her chin. Very well, Countess. I am with you. What do you need me to do? The Countess gave her that almost smile again. Your father's cousin, Lord Tyrrell, is leading the opposition to succession reform in the Council of Peers. My sources tell me he is planning a lavish weekend retreat in the mountains for thirty house leaders and their families. He and his allies intend to press their case hard with the centrists before the bill comes to a vote on the 21st. I don't know what sort of appeal they have in mind, but they seem to believe they can crush the bill at a stroke. Naturally, the Countess and I know are invited, Yasmin said. But Lord Tiro must invite your father, the leader of his own house. And if you ask to come with him, he will not refuse you. I am afraid Miss Volkova will not be able to join you, though, Harcourt said. New companions, servants, or retainers are to be admitted. Natasha's eyes narrowed suspiciously at this, but she said nothing. Honor suspected she would hear her opinion later when they were alone. I, 
See. Honor looked back and forth between Yasmin and Harcourt. You don't... don't want me to make some sort of speech, surely? Claro que no, Yasmin said, squeezing her hand again. Only watch and listen. Report back on who was there and what they are saying, the Countess said. Find out what arguments Tyrrell is using against the bill in private, and if the guests seem to find them persuasive. And if they speak any slander against myself or the other organizers, write it down as exactly as you can, but be discreet about it. Natasha made a frustrated sound. Mm, there is this word again, she muttered. It means I must be careful not to draw attention to what I am doing, Honor explained. Natasha's eyes lit up, as if she had just found a puzzle piece she had been missing for quite some time. Bliet, she said. This would have been very helpful to know five weeks ago. Lord Tyrrell will not be pleased if he finds that there are spies at his meeting, Harcourt said. I advise you to be careful. Honor nodded seriously. She noticed the Countess's use of the plural and asked, Will Alex be joining me? I am afraid no, Yasmin said regretfully. My Aralai and Alex will distance themselves from the succession fight for now. There are many old men who may support the Veterans Bill, Harcourt said, but not if it is seen as part of a radical progressive program. Honor slumped a little in her seat. If she was going to do something subversive and potentially dangerous, she would have liked to have Alex at her side for it. So I will be alone? Not quite alone, the Countess said. She stood up, surprising Honor with how tall she was, five foot nine at least, and looked out over the garden, scanning left and right. Her eyes locked on someone in the distance and beckoned them to come over. My granddaughter will also be there, she continued, not looking at Honor as she spoke. She has many friends in the conservative houses, and she has been feeding me information in secret for months. Honor perked up. Oh, that sounds very exciting. She has been invaluable to the cause, Harcourt said. I'm sure you'll get along splendidly. Here she comes. Honor turned in her seat and looked out over the garden, feeling a rush of sudden excitement. Another lady her own age, united with her in common purpose? Perhaps she would finally have another real friend here in Metamore. She caught glimpses of a tall blonde hairdo making its way past the hedges and shrubberies, but she was too short to see anything more. Then a tall, slender, and impossibly elegant young woman glided into view, her blonde hair gleaming in the sunlight like molten gold, her gaudy yew-tree crucifix sparkling with jewels. She smiled radiantly as she curtsied to the Countess. "'You sent for me, Grandmother?' she asked. "'Yes, dear,' Harcourt said. "'May I introduce the newest member of our little conspiracy?' The elegant girl was already turning in Honor's direction, and when she saw her, her eyes went wide. "'You!' she blurted. Honor managed a tight, brittle smile. "'Hello, Lady Delphinia.' And that's the end of Chapter 9. Come back next time 
when Honor and Delphinia respond to this unexpected alliance. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released over 51 weeks, at a rate of one chapter per week. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Arthur Miller said, The best work that anybody ever writes is the work that is on the verge of embarrassing him, always. So, never mind that red in our cheeks. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of August 27th through September 2nd. I wrote 1,975 words this week, over the course of 2.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 790 words per hour. I wrote on two out of seven days this week. Looking back at the month of August, I wrote a total of 2,838 words in five days, averaging 568 words per day. That ranks 82nd out of 88 months since I started the show. I spent four hours writing in August. Compared to July, my word count decreased by 83%, and my writing time decreased by 82%. This was another busy week for data review at the day job, which means a lot of desk work and not a lot of time for writing. I did get to go into the lab on Monday to do a method verification project, which was enjoyable, and I used my lunch break that day to finish up the two podcast episodes that I recorded over the weekend. This week I had to return the books I borrowed from the library for research on labor relations as part of the prep work for Maid of Honor. I'd already renewed them as long as I could, and I hadn't really gotten the chance to look at any of them during the month of August. I'm going to finish fleshing out my timeline for Fan Shuar's history before I borrow anything else. I've continued my real-world historical research in an oblique way, though I wasn't exactly planning on it. I started listening to historian David Graeber's book on the history of debt, which is called Debt, the First 5,000 Years. As it turns out, this book is going to be valuable for writing the history of Fan Shuar, because it contains a lot of detail on what happens when societies with a human economy— traditional societies that are held together by personal bonds, the exchange of favors, and mutual assistance, run into societies with a market economy, which are held together by webs of contracts, credit, and other impersonal business relationships. This has happened over and over again throughout history, and it doesn't end well for folks from the human economy. Understanding these two different types of societies and the ways they interact will be valuable to me, as I'm thinking about the history between the indigenous Shori civilizations and the Arambian and Yamatuan cultures that colonized them. Keep watching the Patreon feed for updates as I flesh out this history. The world-building excerpts will be visible to all patrons at the $3 level and higher. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author chris lester, 
The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.